Section 8 of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Renee Bell. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book 15, Chapter 7. In which various misfortunes befell poor Jones. Affairs were in the aforesaid situation when Mrs. Honor arrived at Mrs. Miller's, and called Jones out from the company, as we have before seen, with whom, when she found herself alone, she began as follows. Oh, my dear sir, how shall I get spirits to tell you? You are undone, sir, and my poor lady's undone, and I am undone. Hath anything happened to Sophia? cries Jones, staring like a madman. All that is bad, cries Honor. Oh, I shall never get such another lady. Oh, that I should ever live to see this day. At these words, Jones turned pale as ashes, trembled and stammered. But Honor went on. Oh, Mr. Jones, I have lost my lady forever. How? What? For heaven's sake, tell me. Oh, my dear Sophia. You may well call her so, said Honor. She was the dearest lady to me. I shall never have such another place. Damn your place, cries Jones. Where is, what, what has become of my Sophia? I to be sure, cries she, servants may be damned. It signifies nothing what becomes of them, though they are turned away and ruined ever so much. To be sure, they are not flesh and blood like other people. No, to be sure, it signifies nothing what becomes of them. If you have any pity, any compassion, cries Jones, I beg you will instantly tell me what have happened to Sophia. To be sure, I have more pity for you than you have for me, answered Honor. I don't damn you because you have lost the sweetest lady in the world. To be sure, you are worthy to be pitied, and I am worthy to be pitied too, for to be sure, if ever there was a good mistress. What hath happened? cries Jones, in almost a raving fit. What? What? said Honor. By the worst that could have happened both for you and for me. Her father has come to town, and hath carried her away from us both. Here Jones fell on his knees in thanksgiving that it was no worse. No worse, repeated Honor. What could be worse for either of us? He carried her off, swearing she should marry Mr. Blyfell. That's for your comfort. And for poor me, I am turned out of doors. Indeed, Mrs. Honor, answered Jones, you frighten me out of my wits. I imagine some most dreadful sudden accident had happened to Sophia something compared to which even seeing her married to Blyfell would be a trifle. But while there is life, there are hopes, my dear Honor. Women in this land of liberty cannot be married by actual brutal force. To be sure, sir, said she, that's true. There may be some hopes for you, but alack a day, what hopes are there for poor me? And to be sure, sir, you must be sensible I suffer all this upon your account. All the quarrel the squire hath to me is for taking your part, as I have done, against Mr. Blyfell. Indeed, Mrs. Honor, answered he, I am sensible of my obligations to you, and will leave nothing in my power undone to make you amends. Alas, sir, said she, what can make a servant amend for the loss of one place but the getting another altogether as good? Do not despair, Mrs. Honor, said Jones. I hope to reinstate you again in the same. Like a day, sir, said she, how can I flatter myself with such hopes when I know it is a thing impossible? For the squire is so set against me, and yet if you should ever have my lady, as to be sure I now hopes heartily you will. 
for you are a generous, good-natured gentleman, and I am sure you loves her, and to be sure she loves you as dearly as her own soul, it is a matter in vain to deny it, because that's why everybody that isn't the least acquainted with my lady must see it, for poor dear lady, she can't dissemble. And of two people who loves one another and happy, why, who should be so? Happiness don't always depend upon what people has. Besides, my lady has enough for both. To be sure, therefore, as one may say, it would be all the pity in the world to keep two such lovers asunder. Nay, I'm convinced, for my part, you will meet together at last, for, if it is to be, there is no preventing it. If a marriage is made in heaven, all the justices of peace upon earth can't break it off. To be sure, I wish is that Parson Supple had but a little more spirit to tell the squire of his wickedness in endeavouring to force his daughter contrary to her liking, but then his whole dependence is on the squire, and so the poor gentleman, though he is a very religious good sort of man, and talks of the badness of such doings behind the squire's back, yet he dares not say his soul is his own to his face. To be sure, I never saw him make so bold as just now. I was afraid the squire would have struck him. I would not have your honour be melancholy, sir, nor despair. Things may go better, as long as you are sure of my lady, and that I am certain you may be, for she never will be brought to consent to marry any other man. Indeed, I am terribly afraid the squire will do her a mischief in his passion, for he is a prodigious passionate gentleman, and I am afraid too the poor lady will be brought to break her heart, for she is as tender-hearted as a chicken. It is pity, methinks, she had not a little of my courage. If I was in love with a young man, and my father offered to lock me up, I'd tear his eyes out, but I'd come at him. But then there's a great fortune in the case, which it is in her father's power either to give her or not. That, to be sure, may make some difference. Whether Jones gave strict attention to all the foregoing harangue, or whether it was for want of any vacancy in the discourse, I cannot determine, but he never once attempted to answer nor did she once stop till Partridge came running into the room and informed him that the great lady was upon the stairs. Nothing could equal the dilemma to which Jones was now reduced. Honor knew nothing of any acquaintance that subsisted between him and Lady Bellaston, and she was almost the last person in the world to whom he would have communicated it. In this hurry and distress, he took, as is common enough, the worst course, and instead of exposing her to the lady, which would have been of little consequence, he chose to expose the lady to her. He therefore resolved to hide honour, whom he had but just time to convey behind the bed and to draw the curtains. The hurry in which Jones had been all day engaged on account of his poor landlady and her family, the terrors occasioned by Mrs. Honour, and the confusion into which she was thrown by the sudden arrival of Lady Bellaston, had altogether driven former thoughts out of his head, so that it never once occurred to his memory to act the part of a sick man, which, indeed, neither the gaiety of his dress nor the freshness of his countenance would have at all supported. He received her ladyship, therefore, rather agreeably to her desires than to her expectations, with all the good humour he could muster in his countenance, and without any real or affected appearance of the least disorder. Lady Bellaston no sooner entered the room than she squatted herself down on the bed. So, my dear Jones, said she, you find nothing can detain me long from you. Perhaps I ought to be angry with you that I have neither seen nor heard from you all day, for I perceive your distemper would have suffered you to come abroad. 
nay i suppose you have not sat in your chamber all day dressed up like a fine lady to see company after a lying in but however don't think i intend to scold you for i never will give you an excuse for the cold behaviour of a husband by putting on the ill-humour of a wife nay lady bellaston said jones i am sure your ladyship will not upbraid me with neglect of duty when i only waited for orders who my dear creature hath reason to complain who missed an appointment last night and left an unhappy man to expect and wish and sigh and languish do not mention it my dear jones cried she if you knew the occasion you would pity me in short it is impossible to conceive what women of condition are obliged to suffer from the impertinence of fools in order to keep up the farce of the world i am glad however all your languishing and wishing have done you no harm for you never looked better in your life upon my faith jones you might at this instant sit for the picture of adonis there are certain words of provocation which men of honour hold can be properly answered only by a blow among lovers possibly there may be some expressions which can be answered only by a kiss now the compliment which lady bellaston now made jones seems to be of this kind especially as it was attended with a look in which the lady conveyed more soft ideas than it was possible to express with her tongue jones was certainly at this instant in one of the most disagreeable and distressed situations imaginable for to carry on the comparison we made use of before though the provocation was given by the lady jones could not receive satisfaction nor so much as offer to ask it in the presence of a third person seconds in this kind of duels not being according to the law of arms as this objection did not occur to lady bellaston who was ignorant of any other woman being there but herself she waited some time in great astonishment for an answer from jones who conscious of the ridiculous figure he made stood at a distance and not daring to give the proper answer gave none at all nothing can be imagined more comic nor yet more tragical than this scene would have been if it had lasted much longer the lady had already changed colour two or three times had got up from the bed and sat down again while jones was wishing the ground to sink under him or the house to fall on his head when an odd accident freed him from an embarrassment out of which neither the eloquence of a cicero nor the politics of a machiavel could have delivered him without utter disgrace this was no other than the arrival of young nightingale dead drunk or rather in that state of drunkenness which deprives men of the use of their reason without depriving them of the use of their limbs mrs miller and her daughters were in bed and partridge was smoking his pipe by the kitchen fire so that he arrived at mr jones's chamber door without any interruption this he burst open and was entering without any ceremony when jones started from his seat and ran to oppose him which he did so effectually that nightingale never came far enough within the door to see who was sitting on the bed nightingale had in reality mistaken jones's apartment for that in which himself had lodged he therefore strongly insisted on coming in often swearing that he would not be kept from his own bed jones however prevailed over him and delivered him into the hands of partridge whom the noise on the stairs soon summoned to his master's assistance and now jones was unwillingly obliged to return to his own apartment where at the very instant of his entrance he heard lady bellaston venting an exclamation though not a very loud one and at the same time saw her flinging herself into a chair in a vast agitation which in a lady of a tender constitution would have been an hysteric fit 
in reality the lady frightened with the struggle between the two men of which she did not know what would be the issue as she heard nightingale swear many oaths he would come to his own bed attempted to retire to her known place of hiding which to her great confusion she found already occupied by another is this usage to be borne mr jones cries the lady basest of men what wretch is this to whom you've exposed me wretch cries honour bursting in a violent rage from her place of concealment mary come up wretch forsooth as poor a wretch as i am i am honest this is more than some folks who are richer can say jones instead of applying himself directly to take off the edge of mrs honour's resentment as a more experienced gallant would have done fell to cursing his stars and lamenting himself as the most unfortunate man in the world and presently after addressing himself to lady bellaston he fell to some very absurd protestations of innocence by this time the lady having recovered the use of her reason which she had as ready as any woman in the world especially on such occasions calmly replied sir you need make no apologies i see now who the person is i did not at first know mrs honour but now i do i can suspect nothing wrong between her and you and i am sure she is a woman of too good sense to put any wrong constructions upon my visit to you i have been always her friend and it may be in my power to be much more hereafter mrs honour was altogether as placable as she was passionate hearing therefore lady bellaston assume the soft tone she likewise softened hers i am sure madam says she i have been always ready to acknowledge your ladyship's friendships to me sure i never had so good a friend as your ladyship and to be sure now i see it is your ladyship that i spoke to i could almost bite my tongue off for very mad i constructions upon your ladyship to be sure it doth not become a servant as i am to think about such a great lady i mean i was a servant for indeed i am nobody's servant now the more miserable wretches me i have lost the best mistress here honour thought fit to produce a shower of tears don't cry child says the good lady ways perhaps may be found to make you amends come to me to-morrow morning she then took up her fan which lay on the ground and without even looking at jones walked very majestically out of the room there being a kind of dignity in the impudence of women of quality which their inferiors vainly aspire to attain to in circumstances of this nature jones followed her downstairs often offering her his hand which she absolutely refused him and got into her chair without taking any notice of him as he stood bowing before her at his return upstairs a long dialogue passed between him and mrs honour while she was adjusting herself after the discomposure she had undergone the subject of this was his infidelity to her young lady on which she enlarged with great bitterness but jones at last found means to reconcile her and not only so but to obtain a promise of most inviolable secrecy and that she would the next morning endeavour to find out sophia and bring him a further account of the proceedings of the squire thus ended this unfortunate adventure to the satisfaction only of mrs honour for a secret as some of my readers will perhaps acknowledge from experience is often a very valuable possession and that not only to those who faithfully keep it but sometimes to such as whisper it about till it come to the ears of every one except the ignorant person who pays for the supposed concealing of what is publicly known chapter eight short and sweet 
notwithstanding all the obligations she had received from jones mrs miller could not forbear in the morning some gentle remonstrances for the hurricane which had happened the preceding night in this chamber these were however so gentle and so friendly professing and indeed truly to aim at nothing more than the real good of mr jones himself that he far from being offended thankfully received the admonition of the good woman expressed much concern for what had passed excused it as well as he could and promised never more to bring the same disturbances into the house but though mrs miller did not refrain from a short expostulation in private at their first meeting yet the occasion of his being summoned downstairs that morning was of a much more agreeable kind being indeed to perform the office of a father to miss nancy and to give her in wedlock to mr nightingale who was now ready dressed and full as sober as many of my readers will think a man ought to be who receives a wife in so imprudent a manner and here perhaps it may be proper to account for the escape which this young gentleman had made from his uncle and for his appearance in the condition in which we have seen him the night before now when the uncle had arrived at his lodgings with his nephew partly to indulge his own inclinations for he dearly loved his bottle and partly to disqualify his nephew from the immediate execution of his purpose he ordered wine to be set on the table with which he so briskly plied the young gentleman that this latter who though not much used to drinking did not detest it so as to be guilty of disobedience or want of complaisance by refusing was soon completely finished just as the uncle had obtained this victory and was preparing a bed for his nephew a messenger arrived with a piece of news which so entirely disconcerted and shocked him that he in a moment lost all consideration for his nephew and his whole mind became entirely taken up with his own concerns this sudden and afflicting news was no less than that his daughter had taken the opportunity of almost the first moment of his absence and had gone off with a neighbouring young clergyman against whom though her father could have had but one objection namely that he was worth nothing yet she had never thought proper to communicate her amour even to that father so artfully had she managed that it had never been once suspected by any till now that it was consummated old mr nightingale no sooner received this account than in the utmost confusion he ordered a post-chaise to be instantly got ready and having recommended his nephew to the care of a servant he directly left the house scarce knowing what he did nor whither he went the uncle thus departed when the servant came to attend the nephew to bed had waked him for that purpose and had at last made him sensible that his uncle was gone he instead of accepting the kind offices tendered him insisted on a chair being called with this the servant who had received no strict orders to the contrary readily complied and thus being conducted back to the house of mrs miller he is staggered up to mr jones's chamber as hath been before recounted this bar of the uncle being now removed though young nightingale knew not as yet in what manner and all parties being quickly ready the mother mr jones mr nightingale and his love stepped into a hackney coach which conveyed them to doctor's commons where miss nancy was in vulgar language soon made an honest woman and the poor mother became in the purest sense of the word one of the happiest of all human beings and now mr jones having seen his good offices to that poor woman and her family brought to a happy conclusion 
began to apply himself to his own concerns but here lest many of my readers should censure his folly for thus troubling himself with the affairs of others and lest some few should think he acted more disinterestedly than indeed he did we think proper to assure our reader that he was so far from being unconcerned in this matter that he had indeed a very considerable interest in bringing it to that final consummation to explain this seeming paradox at once he was one who could truly say with him in terence almost some humani nihil ami alienum puta he was never an indifferent spectator of the misery or happiness of any one and he felt either the one or the other in great proportion as he himself contributed to either he could not therefore be the instrument of raising a whole family from the lowest state of wretchedness to the highest pitch of joy without conveying great felicity to himself more perhaps than worldly men often purchase to themselves by undergoing the most severe labour and often by wading through the deepest iniquity those readers who are of the same complexion with him will perhaps think this short chapter contains abundance of matter while others may probably wish short as it is that it had been totally spared as impertinent to the main design which i suppose they conclude is to bring mr jones to the gallows where possible to a more deplorable catastrophe chapter nine containing love letters of several sorts mr jones at his return home found the following letters lying on his table which he luckily opened in the order they were sent letter one surely i am under some strange infatuation i cannot keep my resolutions a moment however strongly made or justly founded last night i resolved never to see you more this morning i am willing to hear if you can as you say clear up this affair and yet i know that to be impossible i have said everything to myself which you can invent perhaps not perhaps your invention is stronger come to me therefore the moment you receive this if you can forge an excuse i almost promise you to believe it betrayed too i will think no more come to me directly this is the third letter i have read the two former are burnt i am almost inclined to burn this too i wish i may preserve my senses come to me presently letter two if you ever expect to be forgiven or even suffered within my doors come to me this instant letter three i now find you was not at home when my notes came to your lodgings the moment you receive this let me see you i shall not stir out nor shall anybody be let in but yourself sure nothing can detain you long jones had just read over these three billets when mr nightingale came into the room well tom said he any news from lady bellaston after last night's adventure for it was now no secret to any one in that house who the lady was the lady bellaston answered jones very gravely nay dear tom cries nightingale don't be so reserved to your friends though i was too drunk to see her last night i saw her at the masquerade do you think i am ignorant who the queen of the fairies is and did you really then know the lady at the masquerade said jones yes upon my soul did i said nightingale and have given you twenty hints of it since though you seem always so tender on that point that i would not speak plainly i fancy my friend by your extreme nicety in this matter you are not so well acquainted with the character of the lady as with her person don't be angry tom but upon my honour you are not the first young fellow she hath debauched 
her reputation is in no danger believe me though jones had no reason to imagine the lady to have been of the vestal kind when his amour began yet as he was thoroughly ignorant of the town and had very little acquaintance in it he had no knowledge of that character which is vulgarly called a demirab that is to say a woman who intrigues with every man she likes under the name and appearance of virtue and who though some over nice ladies will not be seen with her is visited as they term it by the whole town in short whom everybody knows to be what nobody calls her when he found therefore that nightingale was perfectly acquainted with this intrigue and began to suspect that so scrupulous a delicacy as he had hitherto observed was not quite necessary on the occasion he gave a latitude to his friend's tongue and desired him to speak plainly what he knew or had ever heard of the lady nightingale who in many other instances was rather too effeminate in his disposition had a pretty strong inclination to tittle-tattle he had no sooner therefore received a full liberty of speaking from jones than he entered upon a long narrative concerning the lady which as it contained many particulars highly to her dishonour we have too great a tenderness for all women of condition to repeat we would cautiously avoid giving an opportunity to the future commentators on our works of making any malicious avocation and of forcing us to be against our will the author of scandal which never entered into our head jones having very attentively heard all that nightingale had to say fetched a deep sigh which the other observing cried heyday why thou art not in love i hope but i imagined my stories would have affected you i promise you should never have heard them oh my dear friend cries jones i am so entangled with this woman that i know not how to extricate myself in love indeed no my friend but i am under obligations to her and very great ones since you know so much i will be very explicit with you it is owing perhaps solely to her that i have not before this wanted a bit of bread how can i possibly desert such a woman and yet i must desert her or be guilty of the blackest treachery to one who deserves infinitely better of me than she can a woman my nightingale for whom i have a passion which few can have an idea of i am half distracted with doubts how to act and is this other pray an honourable mistress cries nightingale honourable answered jones no breath ever yet durst sully her reputation the sweetest air is not pure the limpid stream not clearer than her honour she is all over both in mind and body consummate perfection she is the most beautiful creature in the universe and yet she is mistress of such noble elevated qualities that though she is never far from my thoughts i scarce ever think of her beauty but when i see it and can you my good friend cries nightingale with such an engagement as this upon your hands hesitate a moment about quitting such a hold said jones no more abuse of her i detest the thought of ingratitude pooh answered the other you are not the first upon whom she hath conferred obligations of this kind she is remarkably liberal where she likes though let me tell you her favours are so prudently bestowed that they should rather raise a man's vanity than his gratitude in short nightingale proceeded so far on this head and told his friend so many stories of the lady which he swore to the truth of that he entirely removed all esteem for her from the breast of jones and his gratitude was lessened in proportion indeed he began to look on all the favours he had received rather as wages than benefits which depreciated not only her 
but himself too in his own conceit and put him quite out of humour with both from this disgust his mind by a natural transition turned towards sophia her virtue her purity her love to him her sufferings on his account filled all his thoughts and made his commerce with lady bellaston appear still more odious the result of all was that though his turning himself out of her service in which light he now saw his affair with her would be the loss of his bread yet he determined to quit her if he could but find a handsome pretence which being communicated to his friend nightingale considered a little and then said i have it my boy i have found out a sure method propose marriage to her and i would venture hanging upon the success marriage cries jones i propose marriage answered nightingale and she will declare off in a moment i knew a young fellow whom she kept formerly who made the offer to her in earnest and was presently turned off for his pains jones declared he could not venture the experiment perhaps said he she may be less shocked at this proposal from one man than from another and if she should take me at my word where am i then caught in my own trap and undone for ever no answered nightingale not if i can give you an expedient by which you may at any time get out of the trap what expedient can that be replied jones this answered nightingale the young fellow i mentioned who is one of the most intimate acquaintances i have in the world is so angry with her for some ill offices she hath since done him that i am sure he would without any difficulty give you a sight of her letters upon which you may decently break with her and declare off before the knot is tied if she should really be willing to tie it which i am convinced she will not after some hesitation jones upon the strength of this assurance consented but as he swore he wanted the confidence to propose the matter to her face he wrote the following letter, which Nightingale dictated. Madam, I am extremely concerned that, by an unfortunate engagement abroad, I should have missed receiving the honour of your ladyship's commands the moment they came, and the delay which I must now suffer of vindicating myself to your ladyship greatly adds to this misfortune. O oh, Lady Bellaston, what a terror have I been in for fear your reputation should be exposed by these perverse accidents! There is only one way to secure it. I need not name what that is. Only permit me to say that as your honour is as dear to me as my own, so my sole ambition is to have the glory of laying my liberty at your feet. And believe me when I assure you, I can never be made completely happy without you generously bestow on me a legal right of calling you mine forever. I am, madam, with most profound respect, your ladyship's most obliged, obedient, humble servant, Thomas Jones. To this she presently returned the following answer. Sir, when I read over your serious epistle, I could, from its coldness and formality, have sworn that you already had the legal right you mentioned, nay, that we had for many years composed that monstrous animal a husband and wife. Do you really then imagine me a fool, or do you fancy yourself capable of so entirely persuading me out of my senses that I should deliver my whole fortune into your power, in order to enable you to support your pleasures at my expense? Are these the proofs of love which I expected? Is this the return for it? I scorn to upbraid you, and am in great admiration of your profound respect. P.S. I am prevented from revising. Perhaps I have said more than I meant. Come to me at eight this evening. Jones, by the advice of his privy council, replied, 
madam it is impossible to express how much i am shocked at the suspicion you entertain of me can lady bellaston have conferred favours on a man whom she could believe capable of so base a design or can she treat the most solemn tie of love with contempt can you imagine madam that if the violence of my passion in an unguarded moment overcame the tenderness which i have for your honour i would think of indulging myself in the continuance of an intercourse which could not possibly escape long the notice of the world and which when discovered must prove so fatal to your reputation if such be your opinion of me i must pray for a sudden opportunity of returning those pecuniary obligations which i have been so unfortunate to receive at your hands and for those of a more tender kind i shall ever remain etc and so concluded in the very words with which he had concluded the former letter the lady answered as follows i see you are a villain and i despise you from my soul if you come here i shall not be at home though jones was well satisfied with his deliverance from a thraldom which those who have ever experienced it will i apprehend allow to be none of the lightest he was not however perfectly easy in his mind there was in this scheme too much of fallacy to satisfy one who utterly detested every species of falsehood or dishonesty nor would he indeed have submitted to put it in practice had he not been involved in a distressful situation where he was obliged to be guilty of some dishonour either to the one lady or the other and surely the reader will allow that every good principle as well as love pleaded strongly in favour of sophia nightingale highly exulted in the success of his stratagem upon which he received many thanks and much applause from his friend he answered dear tom we have conferred very different obligations on each other to me you owe the regaining of your liberty to you i owe the loss of mine but if you are as happy in the one instance as i am in the other i promise you we are the two happiest fellows in england the two gentlemen were now summoned down to dinner where mrs miller who performed herself the office of cook had exerted her best talents to celebrate the wedding of her daughter this joyful circumstance she ascribed principally to the friendly behaviour of jones her whole soul was fired with gratitude towards him and all her looks words and actions were so busied in expressing it that her daughter and even her new son-in-law were very little objects of her consideration dinner was just ended when mrs miller received a letter but as we have had letters now in this chapter we shall communicate its contents in our next end of section fifty four